Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Our text this morning is Acts 18, verses 12 through 17. But as we come to listen to God's Word, let's pray for God's help to hear what He says to us. Let's pray. Oh God, You have spoken to us Your divine and saving words. Illumine the souls of us sinners to comprehend what has been read that we do not simply become hearers of your spiritual words, but doers of good deeds, true pursuers of faith, having a blameless life and a conduct without reproach in Christ our Lord, with whom you are blessed and glorified, together with your all holy and good and life-giving spirit, now and forever, into the ages of ages. Amen. Acts 18, verses 12 through 17. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words, and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come on up. Uh, fifth grade and below. Here, God's law, the Ten Commandments, to a God's Ten Commandments show us how life works best and, and actually show us what God himself is like. And that's exactly why they work like a mirror for us. Because when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's law, we, we see that our lives don't actually match God's plan for people. We, we see how even though God made us in His image in the beginning, we don't look or act like Him right now, do we? No. In His law, I can see how God Himself is loving toward others, He is generous, He's kind, He doesn't steal from people. But I can see how I am actually quite selfish. And, and I want others to be generous to me, but I might not be so generous to others. Do you know why God wants us to see ourselves in His law? Do you, do you know why He wants us to understand how selfish we can be? Is it because He hates us? No. Is it because He wants to crush us and make us feel sad forever? No. God holds up the mirror of His law to show us how we really are so that we will know and feel our need for Jesus. This is part of what Paul was talking about with, with the people who were so mad at him. They said, you're, you're trying to get rid of God's law. And, and Paul's saying, no, you just haven't really understand what God's law is for. It's meant to push us to Jesus. We, we see in God's law that we can't save ourselves. But, but the good news is that we don't have to, right? Because Jesus obeyed God perfectly. And because Jesus obeyed God 
perfectly. He, he, he was the law keeper. He kept God's law perfectly. But, but more than that, Jesus suffered death in our place. He died by the law of in the place of you and me. It is also that we could be forgiven. And so, guys, what we're saying is when we stop trying to be good enough for God, and we just trust and rest that Jesus was good in our place, then God accepts us fully because of him. But, but you know, something really strange begins to happen after that. After he forgives us, Jesus does something else. Jesus takes us by the hand, and in that same law that used to act like a mirror that, that showed us our sin, Jesus takes us by the hand, and he leads us right back to that same law. And instead of acting like a mirror, showing us, hey, we, we, we're not quite what we're supposed to be, God's law begins to act like a God. It, it kind of shows us the way that we are supposed to go. And, and you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. That actually makes a lot of sense because Jesus loved God's law, didn't he? And, and he wants us to learn to love it, too. And, and following Jesus in his way of living, we begin to realize how good and beautiful God's law really is. So, you see, without Jesus, God's law would only show us our problems like a mirror. But we'd be hopeless because we can't fix ourselves. But with Jesus, God's law becomes more like a lamp to our feet, like a flashlight shining us the, the way in, in this dark world. Apart from Jesus, you and I can never keep God's law. But with Jesus, we are set free to obey God and even mess up a lot. But we begin enjoying life as he intends it to be. Because Jesus is at the center of it all. He's freeing us from our sin. He's leading us into new obedience. And it's all under his grace. That's another reason why we call this good news. you believe it? Thanks, guys. If you've not already done so, open your Bibles to Acts 18. We are continuing here in uh, verses 12 through 17, Luke's uh, account uh, of Paul's time there in Corinth. You remember that last Sunday, we, we looked at the first part of this account, and we, we focused on the way that the Lord provided for Paul uh, during that season of his ministry. Uh, we saw that, that Paul came to Corinth alone. He had left Silas and Timothy behind in Berea. And he was alone in Athens and then came from Athens to Corinth still alone. And yet when he got there, the Lord provided Paul with community in the, uh, the, in the family of Priscilla and Aquila. He then also provided them with him with monetary support through their trade. He was able to work with them because he was of the same trade. And finally, we saw that the Lord provided Paul with much needed encouragement in the form of two promises. First, Jesus promised Paul that he would not be persecuted while he was in Corinth. No one would oppose him to 
to harm him. He would still face opposition. He would still uh, face people who uh, protested against him, but they would not be able to harm him while he was there in Corinth. And in fact, not only would he be protected from harm, but the second promise was that his ministry would be fruitful because there were many uh, there in Corinth whom God called his own. And so with these promises in hand, Luke tells us, that Paul stayed a year and six months there in Corinth, teaching the word among them. In our text this morning, uh, here, the verses 12 through 17, describe an event that takes place sometime uh, during that year and a half, Paul's time there in Corinth. We don't know uh, exactly when this took place. We don't know if it was at the beginning or if it was at the, the end, but, uh, but Paul is there in Corinth uh, and while Gallio is proconsul of Achaia, the Jews make a united attack against him, Luke tells us. And they, and they drag him before the tribunal. Now this is something that we have seen before during Paul's ministry. Remember, as I said, when, when Paul was in Thessalonica, the Jews were jealous of him. They were, they were jealous of the traditions of their fathers, and they saw him as a, a threat against those traditions. And so they, they gathered some wicked men of the rabble, and they formed a mob, and they, they proceeded to set the, the city in an uproar against Paul so that he was chased out of the city. And then again, in Berea, those, those same Jews followed him, and, and there in Berea, they agitated and stirred up the crowds again so that again, Paul had to flee the city, this time going as far as Athens. And so when the Jews make their united attack against Paul here in Corinth, it is, it is nothing new. It's, it's what we have seen. They have been opposing Paul strenuously all along the way. But this time, in accord with Jesus' promise, Paul has not run out of town. This time, they, they are not able to harm him. But on the contrary, Gallio simply dismisses their charges out of hand. And, and it is the ruler of the synagogue who ends up uh, getting beaten instead of Paul. Now, I think Luke tells us this story so that we will see uh, Jesus' faithfulness to the promise that he has made. He has promised Paul that he will not be harmed while he is there in Corinth. That no one will persecute him. And here we see Jesus making good on that promise. When the Jews attack Paul, they are not able to run him out of town. They are not able to harm him because Jesus is protecting him. Jesus is keeping the promise that he has made. And that is obviously of, of the utmost significance. We have to remember that we serve a Lord who keeps his promises. We serve a Lord who is always faithful to His Word. We saw last week that, that God's provision for His people does not always look the same. It didn't even always look the same for, for Paul. Paul did not always enjoy community and, and monetary support and, and these promises of, of peace and, and fruitfulness. But God did promise that He would always be with Paul, that Jesus would always be with him, that He would always be leading him. And Paul knew that Jesus would not fail to keep that promise. Whatever he faced, whatever he was asked to go through, Jesus would be with him so that, so that ultimately his ministry would be not in vain, but to the praise of the glory of his master. And we see that, that God is keeping that promise through Christ here in this story. 
But there's a second piece in this story, a second detail in this story that, that's not really the main point that uh, why Luke is telling us, but, but it is nevertheless significant. It's especially significant at this time of year because it, it tells us something about Jesus and the reason that he came. It tells us something about the gospel that Paul preached concerning, uh, concerning Jesus. So look again at verse 13. When the Jews dragged Paul before the proconsul, notice what they said. Notice, notice their charge. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Paul is teaching people to disobey God's law. That's the, that's the charge. Now, you have to ask yourself, why do they think that Gallio will care? Why do they think that, that Gallio will care about, about Jews worshiping God contrary to the law of Moses. Well, you have to understand that they, they thought that such a charge would get his attention because the Jews had special permission from Rome. They had special permission to worship God as Jews, as, as declared and adamant monotheists who simply would not worship the emperor and simply would not worship the, the pantheon of, of other gods who were uh, recognized there in the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome had decided that it just wasn't worth the trouble to try to force Jews to, to worship uh, the way the rest of the Roman citizens did. And so they had actually made a law that gave the Jews special permission to worship God as Jews. And that exempted them from worshiping the emperor and the, and the other deities. But that special permission was for Jews. And it was for Jews as Jews. And therefore, if Paul is teaching people to worship God contrary to the Jewish law, then in a sense, he's also teaching them to worship God contrary to the Roman law. Because the Roman law allowed Jews to worship God as Jews and, and nobody else. And therefore, the, the Jews who bring this charge to Gallio assume that he will care, assume that he will be interested, assume that he will uh, be inclined to oppose Paul and this new teaching because it's not sanctioned by Rome. But Gallio didn't accept their conclusion. He, he saw this disagreement between the Jews and Paul as, as merely an internal dispute amongst Jews, a, a dispute about, about what the Mosaic law meant. And he said, I'm not going to get involved. Look, at, look again at verse 14. He says, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your law, see to it yourself. He just isn't willing to get involved. And what I want us to focus on this morning is that charge, the, the substance of the Jews' complaint against Paul. Yes, it's, it's significant that Gallio dismisses it. As I said, that's, that's actually, I think, Paul, Luke's primary interest here in this text. It, it's the reason that he records the story. He records the story so that we can see Jesus being faithful to his promise but the substance of the charge is important because it teaches us something about the substance of the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, the substance of the, the gospel that the Jews were attacking. And in this Advent season, I think it teaches us something about the reason for Jesus coming. Why do we celebrate Jesus coming as, as good news of, of great joy for all people? Well, this story tells us something of the answer to that question. So let's just begin 
with the obvious question, why did the Jews accuse Paul of teaching people to, to worship contrary to the law? Do they really believe that? I, I think they did. Given what we know, I think we can say that the Jews truly believed that Paul was teaching people to worship God contrary to the law. They really did see Paul as an enemy of their traditions. They really did see him as an enemy of the Mosaic law. Their, their complaint was almost certainly sincere. And the reason that they believed it is because Paul kept saying things that, that allowed Gentiles to be saved as Gentiles. We've, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. This is, this is the controversy in the early church. The controversy in the early church is the reality that Jesus saves Gentiles not by bringing them under the Jewish law, but that he saves Gentiles as Gentiles. We, we see this through, throughout Paul's letters. The, the idea that a Gentile could be saved, that was, that was not new, and that was not really controversial. Almost all Jews believed that Gentiles could be saved. But they believed that Gentiles could be saved by becoming Jews, by, by converting to, to Judaism. That is, they believed that Gentiles could be saved by receiving circumcision and submitting to the Jewish law, especially those aspects of the Jewish law that were ceremonial, those, those aspects that distinguished Jews from everybody else. Think of the, the food laws, what they ate. Think of the, the clothing laws, that, uh, what they would wear. Think of the, the calendar that they would follow. These ceremonies, these ceremonial laws, these ceremonial aspects of the, of the Mosaic law distinguish Jews from everybody else. And the Jews believe that if the Gentiles were willing to put themselves under that law, with circumcision being the sign of such submission, then they too could be saved. But that if they rejected that law, then they remained Gentiles, and they remained outside of God's covenant, they remained without hope in this world. But Paul, on the other hand, thought that the Gentiles could be saved without becoming Jews. They could, they could be saved and, and remain as Gentiles. They could be saved without putting themselves under the Jewish law. We, we see this, for example, in his, his letter to the Galatians. Paul writes, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, by, by submission to the Mosaic law, but rather that a person is saved, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ and through that faith, Alone. In fact, he goes on uh, to say later in that same letter, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Notice, it, it's not that, that circumcision doesn't count, but, but uncircumcision is good. It's not that uncircumcision is, is, is bad and, and circumcision is good. He says, neither counts for anything. If you're circumcised, great, come to Jesus. If you're not circumcised, great, come to Jesus. All that counts, Paul says, is faith working through love. And in his letter to the Romans, he, he says something similar. He says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We're not justified through the law. Why? Well, just as Sam was saying to the kids, because through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law exposes us as law breakers. That's all the law can do because of the weakness of our flesh. We don't keep the law. And therefore, all the law can do is expose us as sinners. But now, in Christ, a righteousness from God has been revealed. It's a, it's a righteousness that is apart from the law, Paul says. Yes, the, the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, they bear witness to it, but the righteousness itself is apart from the law. It is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And he goes on to say, 
That because of this, we know that God is not the God of Jews only, but the God of Gentiles also. Yes, even Gentiles, Paul says there in his letter to the Romans. And when the Jews heard this, when the Jews of Paul's day heard him saying such things, that they were justified by faith apart from works of the law, that no one is justified by works of the law, that, that being circumcised counts for nothing. When they heard him say this, they heard him teaching people to worship God contrary to the law. They, they heard him telling people to, to just disregard God's law and, and come to him in some new and improvised way. And so this is the charge that they bring against Paul. He is teaching people to worship contrary to the law. And what I want us to do, uh, just in the time we have left, is I want us to consider what they are getting right, what they're getting wrong, and why it matters for us today. So, so let's start. What do the Jews get right when they bring this charge against Paul? Well, quite simply, what they get right is that Paul was teaching that, that those who have believed in Jesus Christ, those whom we refer to as Christians today, disciples of Jesus Christ, they are not under law, but under grace. That is absolutely true. That is Paul's gospel. Christians are not under law, but under grace. That's, that's explicitly what he says in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. He, he just simply says to him, you are not under law. And you have to know that you are not under law. You are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean? It means that as Christians, we do not relate to God through the law by works. Our law keeping does not establish our relationship with God. We are not counted righteous because of what we have done in submission to and in, and in obedience to the law. Your relationship with God is not based on works of the law. It's not based upon your obedience. It's, it's not based upon your, your obedience to certain ceremonies. Now, we don't have the same ceremonies today that, that, that Paul had in his day. We, we don't uh, tend to believe that people are, are right with God because they're circumcised. That's, that's not the way that we think today, but we still have our ceremonies. We have those, those practices that we think can, can establish us as right with God, our, our regular Bible reading, reading through the Bible in a year, or our regular quiet times, or our regular attendance at, at church, and maybe even the midweek services. We have those, those practices that we think of as, as establishing us as, as right with God. And Paul says, no, we are not right with God because of our works. We are not right with God because of what we have done. And even beyond the ceremonies, we are not right with God because of our keeping of the, the, the moral law. You see, see, it's easy for us to recognize that, okay, the, the, the ceremonies aren't how we're right with God, but, but do you recognize that you're not, you don't relate to God based upon your performance of the moral law either? You're not right with God uh, because you have not uh, murdered or not committed adultery or not stolen or not borne false witness. This is not how you are right with God. What Paul is proclaiming is that we are not under the law. We are under grace. We relate to God in Christ. We are right with God because we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have received and rested upon Him as our Lord and Savior. We have, we have received the gospel proclaimed by the apostles concerning Jesus 
and we have entrusted ourselves to it. We have, we have believed that he is the Lord. We have believed that he is the Savior. And we have looked to him alone for our salvation. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is the very heart of the gospel that Paul proclaimed. Because without this, there is no gospel. Why? Because of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Everyone who relates to God through the law is under a curse. If you relate to God through the law, you are under a curse. Why? Because you can't actually keep the law. What does the law do? The law exposes us as sinners. The law shows us that we have not lived in accord with God's word. And so as Paul says in, in his letter to the Galatians, everyone who relates to God through the law, everyone who relies on works of the law is under a curse. But those who receive and rest upon Jesus Christ, those who relate to God in Christ by faith, they are justified. And having been justified by faith, they now have peace with God. This is the heart of the gospel that Paul proclaimed. Jesus came to rescue us from the curse of the law. There was a, a record of debt that stood against us, our law-breaking and by it, we were justly condemned. It's actually what you confessed this morning when you affirmed those membership vows. You confess that you are a sinner justly deserving of his wrath and displeasure. Justly condemned because you are a lawbreaker. But now, you no longer relate to God through the law. Now, your law keeping is not the, uh, the measure of your relationship with God. Now, you relate to God in Christ and in Christ alone. That is the beauty of the gospel. And so the Jews were right, in a sense. They, they were right to hear Paul saying, uh, or to hear Paul saying that the Christians are not under the law. But this does not mean that Paul was teaching contrary to the law or, or opposed to the law. In fact, Paul says this explicitly in Romans chapter 3, that, that same uh, letter, that same chapter even. He writes, we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. There it is. That's the gospel that he's preaching. Gentiles can be saved as, as Gentiles. We are, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, regardless of, of whether we are Jews or, or Gentiles. But does this mean that we are overthrowing the law, Paul asks? By no means. He answers his own question. By no means. On the contrary, he says, we actually uphold the law by proclaiming this gospel. But how does that work? That, well, that's our second question. What are the Jews getting wrong? What the Jews get right is that they hear Paul saying that Christians are not under the law, that we no longer relate to God through the law. But, but, but what are they getting wrong? Why are they misunderstanding the very essence of the gospel that Paul is preaching? Well, the Jews were wrong uh, to think that, that Paul's gospel was somehow against the law, as we saw, this is what he says in, in, in Romans chapter 3, by no means, we don't, we don't oppose the law, we actually up, uphold it. And, and Jesus said something similar. Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And we, we catch a glimpse of, of something of how that works in, in Romans chapter 10. Because what does Paul say there? In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Paul tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, when we hear that, as modern readers, we, we tend to hear termination. This is Paul, uh, Christ is the termination of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But that, that word 
uh, that Paul uses there, yes, it, it means end in the sense of termination, but, but it means more than that. It's a word you've, you've heard before. It's one of the, the Greek words that you're probably familiar with. It's the word telos. It's the word that, that, that we reference in the first question of our catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the, the sense of end, that, 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 that Christ is the end. He's the telos. He's the goal. He's the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And we know this is what Paul means because he develops it further in his letter to the, to the Galatians. In verse 16 of, of chapter 3, he writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So he's, he's referring here to the promises that were made to Abraham. And he says that the promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring, meaning that ultimately the promises were going to be fulfilled in one person, in Jesus Christ. This was the plan all along. This was the, 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 the unfolding plan that God had in mind from the very beginning, that the promises made to Abraham would be finally and fully fulfilled in the singular person of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say then, that the law then, which comes 430 years afterwards, 430 years after the promises made to Abraham, he says the law, which comes 430 years, uh, 430 years afterwards, does not annul the covenant previously ratified so as to make the promise void. He says, he says God didn't change the terms when he gave the law at Mount Sinai. God had made a promise to Abraham, a promise that would be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the law comes some 400 years afterwards, not to, to change the terms of the covenant, not to, to nullify the promise, but rather to secure it. That's what he says in, in verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so the promise is, has to stand. But, but why? Why the law then? That's exactly the question that Paul asks. If, if the inheritance was promised to Abraham and to his offspring, why did God give the law? Well, Paul answers that, that question in verse 19, saying that the law was added because of transgression. Well, there's been a lot of debate over what that means. There's been a lot of discussion about what exactly it means to say that the law was added because of, of transgression. Some people mean that suggest that maybe the law was added to restrain transgression until the fulfillment of the promises could, could come. And, and certainly that is one of the uses of the law. One of the uses of the law is that it restrains transgression. It warns us against uh, going our own way. It keeps the people of Israel together until their Messiah can come. But there's more going on than that. As, as again, what uh, the image of the mirror that uh, Sam was using with the kids, it seems to suggest that the, the law reveals transgression. It, it, it reveals to us our transgression. It reveals to us our need uh, for the promised Savior. It's what creates the longing of Advent. Why did the people long uh, for the Savior to finally come? Because they recognized uh, that, that they could not receive the inheritance on their own. They were lawbreakers, justly condemned. They were in exile because of their own failures. And they needed a Savior to come who could secure for them the long-promised blessing. That's exactly what Paul says there in Galatians. He says, if a law had been given that could give life, if that was the purpose, then righteousness would have been through the law. 
But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What was the law doing? The law was, was revealing us to be sinners so that the promise could finally be delivered through the one who had been long promised through the singular offspring of Abraham through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. That, that all of the promises are ours through Christ and through Christ alone. The law leads us to Christ, and it's only in Christ that we can receive what is promised. So what was the law doing? The law was leading us to Christ. Christ was the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And therefore, Paul says the law is not contrary to the promise And the promise is not contrary to the law, but rather the law serves the promise because the promise was always the end, the goal of the law. It's where the law was always leading us. And so the Jews were right to hear Paul saying that that Christians are not under law. But but they were wrong to hear him saying that, that Christ is opposed to the law. Paul's gospel is not opposed to the law, but rather it actually brings the law into its own. In Paul's gospel, the law is actually fulfilled. And that's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to understand how Jesus' advent, how his coming to to give his life as the ransom price for our redemption, I want us to see how Christ has transformed our relationship to the law. Because this is at the very heart of the good news. This is why his birth is proclaimed as good news of great joy for all people. Because first of all, in him, as we've said, we are no longer under law. Do you know that? Do you you believe that? You do not relate to God through the law. And you need to cling to that reality. Your relationship with God is not grounded in or, or based upon your performance. You do not have a righteousness that you have established for yourself through your keeping of the law, whether the ceremonial law or the moral law. You are in right relationship with God. You are declared righteous in His sight for what Christ has done. Now, we know this. We would would get this right on the theology exam. But we must believe it and we must live out of this reality. We must not allow our sins to persuade us that that God is now somehow against us, that He is now somehow opposed to us, that we have somehow forfeited His grace. God knew you when you were a sinner. He saved you when you were a sinner. Christ died for you when you were yet still Christ's enemy. Your work did not reconcile you to God. Your work did, did not make you fit to be reconciled to God in Christ. God came to you when you were an enemy, when you were a sinner, when you were weak and and helpless, when you were even dead in your sins, and He made you alive together with Christ. He has reconciled you to Himself through the work of Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what we, we celebrate during this Christmas season. But that does not mean that we have now no use for the law. It does not mean that that we have no use for the law because what was the law doing all along? The law was all along showing us God's standard, God's 
perfect word, his, his plan for his creation, that plan of which we fall short, that plan which we transgress, that plan that has brought us under condemnation. But having been set free from the curse of that law, what is our new reality? Our new reality is that the law is still good. The, the problem was never with the law. What, is, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? Uh, the, the problem with the law was us. The problem with the law was that we weren't able to keep it. And so what we need to understand, and what the Jews failed to understand about Paul, is that, is that Paul was not proclaiming that, 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 people could now, uh, that people could now just simply disregard the law. He was proclaiming that they had been set free from the curse of the law so that they could now freely obey the law. That's the, the wonder and the beauty of the, of the gospel that, that, that Paul is proclaiming. The law is not burdensome. The law is not evil. The law is not problematic. The law is good and right and beautiful. The law is a picture of, of, of how this world is supposed to work. It is the blueprint for, for human flourishing in God's good creation. And you have been set free from the curse of the law so that you might freely live into the blessings of the law. Yes, it exposed you as a sinner. And because you knew yourself to be a sinner, you looked to Christ for salvation. But now, having been saved in Christ, you are free to use that law as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path that you might walk in the way of life. That's the gospel that Paul proclaimed. Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law so that we might be free to walk in obedience to the law. So the gospel is not opposed to the law. It's actually only through the gospel that the law will ever be fulfilled in the lives of God's people. Left to ourselves, we cannot keep it. Left to ourselves, we are sinners, under curse, in bondage. But Christ has freed us, not that we can go our own way, but so that we can begin to live the lives for which we were created. And because we have such freedom in Christ, that is why his death is proclaimed as good news of great joy for all people. Not because you're free from the law, but because you are free from the curse of the law that you might keep the law. And because you have been set free to keep the law, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for this gospel. Uh, Father, uh, we understand uh, why uh, the Jews misheard, why they misunderstood. But Father, we thank you that in your grace to us, you have opened our eyes to hear the whole story. You have opened our, our ears to, to recognize the reality, Father, that we have not been set free from the law to go our own way, but that we have been set free from the curse of the law, that we might instead live in its blessings. Uh, Father God, help us to, to know this, help us to own this, help us to believe it and to rest in it and to live out of it to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.